bony structure at the rear of the female fish. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra Hora. Chief Executive C.Y. Lung says that foreign forces are at work in the Hong Kong pro-democracy movement. Liberal Party Chief Selena Chow says that the damage to small and medium-sized enterprises is significant. And the U.S. Fed Chief Janet Yellen is concerned about rising inequalities in the U.S. Today, we'll talk about all of this with our guest host, Alex Wong of Ample Capital, and our guests, Puru Saxena of Puru Saxena Asset Management, and our international correspondent, Barry Wood. Chris Oliver will also look at investing in Greater China stocks with William Ma of the Gotex Fund Management. But first, a look at today's top stories. Market mood swings were more than obvious last week, even if stocks closed up on Friday. From one day to the next, and even within a few hours, stocks swung from despair to optimism, deep losses to big gains. Investors were storm-tossed in every part of the world with plunging oil prices, signs of a slowdown in Europe and fear of Ebola on the downside, yet strong corporate earnings and reassuring job market figures on the upside. The Dow ended up 263 points to finish at 16,380. The S&P 500 ended 24 points up to finish at 1,886. And the Nasdaq gained 1% to close at 4,258. The biggest question on people's minds all through the weekends has, all through the weekend has been, what drove the stock market's wild swings last week? Here's Robert Dahl, Chief Equity Strategist at Nuveen Asset Management. Well, I think we have to look back at um, the fact that we've had a weak economy. We've had deflation concerns in Europe, and uh, people woke up to that and started selling some stocks. That might be the first 5%. The next 5% was panic. Uh, people saying, oh, my goodness, the world might end. I better sell before it's too late. And uh, we've recovered basically that 5% in the rally since the low on uh, Wednesday morning of 1820 on the S&P 500. Volatility is uh, higher than uh, where it's been, as we all know. I think it's basically said the very, very low volatility that we've uh, enjoyed the last few years is probably behind us. We're moving to more normal volatility. Jeff Lewis, the senior portfolio manager at TIG Securitized Asset Fund, says that volatility is a normal result of regulatory changes. You know, there's a there's a uh, a result of the regulatory changes in terms of uh, Dodd Frank and removing a lot of the capital that was in the intermediaries, where before they traded they traded for their own account, and on days like where there would be news and and markets would start to move, they would step in and participate as principals. And what the regulatory regime says now is we don't want. Or we don't want our banks to put their money on the line in that way. We want the we want the risk taking to devolve out of the banks and be really more in the hands of the investors of the clients. So what happens is the market makers are the hedge funds and the pimcos of the world. They don't have any obligation to the system or to their clients or to anybody other than the people who invest with them. And so you're going to get more volatility when you have these kind of uh, when you have these kind of movements. In fact, we're back to normal levels. The VIX uh, fear index is currently trading at 22. Alex, uh, with volatility back at historically normal levels, or so they say, are you expecting that the market has already bottomed out? Oh, I think it's still too early to call for that because uh, we are only a few percent uh, from the 
bottom we seen the last Thursday. Um, probably we would still see some continuation of this uh, volatile market because on Friday, actually, if you look at the U.S., um, those um, small caps uh, we we treated a lot from the top. So that means sentiment actually remains uh, very cautious. So, Alex, what about share buybacks? I mean, October has been sort of a particularly quiet uh, month for buybacks by U.S. companies, certainly, with about $1.7 billion in stock repurchases announced or completed so far uh, this month. And, you know, compare that with $250 billion during sort of the first nine months or so of the year. And Goldman reported last week that companies were in a blackout period as far as share buybacks were concerned. Uh, do you think that sort of once this begins to kick into action – um, you know, we're going to see it's going to impact the volatility? And I think, uh, first of all, we are in the earnings season. Uh, so uh, we probably would be very news sensitive in the meantime. But later on, probably after the earnings seasons, we probably would be a little bit uh, less volatile. So I think a uh, share buyback is a discounted in the market. But uh, the, the point is that we are in the earnings season, which uh, the market had been very sensitive to news. So maybe it's a natural October thing. All right, let's bring in Puru Saxena of Puru Saxena Asset Management. Good morning, Puru. Good morning. Puru, what do you think is next on the cards? Well, I think the market is trying to put in a bottom here, the U.S. market. Whether it is the bottom, nobody really knows. But if you look at the indicators that we follow, I mean, you look at the new 52-week lows. They spiked to over 650 two or three days ago. They've come right back down again. Volatility seems to be subsiding. Uh, the Fed official has said that if the economy w- w- weakens considerably in the U.S. and if deflationary fears escalate, then uh, QE could probably be revived or it may not even end. Uh, but I think that the U.S. economy is muddling along. I don't think we're going to hit recession, which means that we're not going to enter into a bear market anytime soon. But you do think that uh, volati- volatility appears to be subsiding. So it's, you don't agree with Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at the last couple of days, uh, the new 52-week lows have shrunk considerably. And that usually is a sign that the market actually bottomed out two days ago on a near-term basis. So we are probably going to get some sort of a rally over the next few days, probably next two or three weeks whether or not that holds and if the recent lows hold, that would be a good positive sign. But until then, I would say the best scenario in the near term is a bounce. All right. Well, let's bring in Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Burrow. Aren't we a fine little trio or quadro, I should say, right here on Money for Nothing? Um, Barry, the Fed is expected to stop its QE program at the end of this month, or, you know, that's what they've said thus far. And Janet Yellen has held pretty fast on this. But St. Louis Fed Governor Bullard, uh, you know, made some comments at the end of last week suggesting that maybe this might not be the case. What do you think? That wouldn't be the way I interpret what Mr. Bullard had to say. I think he was saying that looking ahead, we're not sure when interest rates are going to rise. But I did not see that he was suggesting there might be a change this month. That would be a shock. If there was a change to uh, ending QE in just two weeks' time, that would be quite a shock, I think, to the market. Now, that's not to say that uh, he wasn't uh, indeed saying just that, but I didn't hear it. Um, no, I think that uh, I like what Burrow's saying about we're going to get a bounce. It seems to me we had a very strong upward tick on Friday. I mean, the strongest in years. That followed what I think can be construed as a natural good correction. 
that there's volatility is not altogether bad, and I think whether volatility is over is is probably too early to say. But I'm I'm rather pleased that after so many months of waiting for some kind of correction, some kind of uh, retrenchment from these extraordinary upward advances in the U.S. market, I'm rather glad that we've had one, and I don't see any kind of uh, indication that uh, we're going to see tumultuous downward trends ahead. Alex, you don't agree, do you? No, I, I think uh, we probably had seen a, a, a short-term bottom, but it is still too clear to, to, to say the, the big correction had been over. We, we are still in a um, undecided mode, I think. Puru, uh, you know, Janet Yellen also said at a Boston Fed meeting um, this weekend that she's worried about rising wealth and income inequalities, but she didn't really provide any kind of policy prescription for this. Do you think that she is playing a wait-and-watch-and-see game and that she could actually do a switcheroo at the last minute? Well, I don't think anybody can control wealth inequality in a capitalistic system. You know, the way the system is set up is that the rich get richer and the entrepreneurs and the businessmen and investors make the money and you have a huge working class which earns wages and they just get by on very little so unless you have socialism you're not going to get the wealth gap being bridged anytime soon but i think if you look at overall you know if you look at the u.s or if you look at the standard of living in most countries uh, you would have to argue that the standard of living now is a lot better for most people than say 20 or 30 or 40 years ago you know most people are generally living a better quality of life so, Barry, what do you think? Do you think uh, that the so-called in- income inequality is anything to worry about? Well, I do think it's something to worry about, but I certainly agree with Burrow. I don't think that uh, we've got um, the tools to, to deal with that. Uh, it is troublesome because here's a recovering economy, and typically you would expect to see that in the United States, with an re- economy that's been growing 2% over the last couple of years, and sometimes more, that you would see incomes rising. They're not. And that is, I think, a puzzle, a conundrum to policymakers. But I agree. I don't think they have any tools to do anything about it. Okay, so maybe the markets need to rely on actual company news rather than on Fed policy. Uh, given September's retail, uh, you know, declining retail sales, a spending a pickup would certainly perhaps serve as medicine to pacify investors' jitters. Now, we're expecting earnings from Amazon on Thursday. Barry, do you think that these might be a true reflector of consumer spending? I do. <laughs> That I, I'm with you on this one because uh, you've got some very important companies, you know, that are sort of bellwether companies reporting. And we've heard so much about new products and new techniques that uh, Amazon is important. Apple is exceedingly important. Today, later um, today, yeah? Yes, and uh, Microsoft, and we've got all kind. and the auto sector, we've got Ford and General Motors. If earnings are better than expected and expectations were not high, I think that could uh, indeed ignite what your colleagues might call a um, temporary bounce or a reversal that leads us into uh, more upside territory. Alex, what do you think? Yes, I think uh, right now the, all eyes are on the earnings this week, uh, and of course Apple is super important, yeah. So, Puru, what do you think? I mean, we still have this worry about a slowdown in China that has been sort of on everyone's minds uh, these last few days. Well, the Chinese slowdown has been on my mind for the last two years. Okay. <laughs> for the last two Let days. me stand corrected. <laughs> 
Well, if you look at the property market, it is absurdly, grossly overvalued. There is no question about that. If you look at the property stock in China, the residential property stock, not even taking into account the commercial or the office space or factories, just the residential, it's about 400% of GDP. The only time ever in human history we've seen this sort of valuation was in Japan in 1989. So you could argue that this time is different and China is somehow different than the rest of the world. I disagree. I think we've seen this movie before and it's going to end badly. Why do you think it's going to end badly? Because it always does. You have overvaluation and then you have excesses. You have a huge credit boom which fuels the asset bubble. And then you have the disbursement and everything collapses. We've seen this film before. So the fact that the People's Bank of China has flinched again and has announced that it'll inject uh, $32.7 billion into 20 national and regional banks, uh, you don't like this? Well, they can do whatever they like. You know, I'm sure they'll pull out all the stops to try and prevent the deflation in the asset markets in China, especially property, because so much wealth is tied up in real estate in China. But I don't think anybody can control it. When you unleash so much debt in an economy in the last five or six years, as China has, then the end, in my view, historically speaking, has always been the same, the eventual bust. The only question is timing. Alex, you're... Well, may I come in on this one? Of, of course. Barry, go you ahead. Know, the interesting thing is that... Couldn't you make the reverse case to say that the Chinese authorities are aware of the danger of this rapid run-up in, in property prices? Therefore, they have deliberately slowed the economy, tried to stop the escalation, and restructured the banks. And I don't think that you can really – now, you didn't mention Japan, but I will – look at the property bubble that we had in Japan and the equity bubble that led – to an ultimate collapse and deflation for a decade. I can't see that that's going to happen in, in China. It seems to me that the Chinese have, have got a better grip on this and they're acting sooner. Is that is that wrong? Alex, did you want to respond to that? Oh, I think that China is, uh, had already reacted, but um, the problem is still exists. Uh, and I think uh, we probably will see an eventual bust. I also expect that as well, because in the... In the, the China had been adopting a one-child policy for for too long, and then that means that the population, in terms of population, actually the demand side actually would not be favorable. So uh, that means uh, we are we already have too many supply, and demand would probably be shrinking in, in in the long term. And because right now Chinese people are using houses and uh, assets to allocate their, their wealth, but that that demand I think uh, probably would uh, would come down when the prices fall. So that means that uh, we are in a bubble actually. All right, Barry. So besides the company earnings that we have already talked about, uh, what else should we be looking out for this week on U.S. shores? Well, gosh, I think uh, I'm, I'm so uh, really fixated on what your two guests in the studio have said. I mean, this mm-hmm. is real food for thought. No, I think I'm looking at uh, China's uh, third quarter GDP. I'm mm-hmm. looking for new home sales. I'm looking for the consumer price index. And, uh, and let me add one thought, if I can. I listened to uh, Liaquat Ahmed, who wrote the book on, uh, you know, the financial crisis of the, of the 20s and the, and the Depression. He said on Friday that the Japanese have never forgiven the Americans for making them, in his view, revalue their currency in 1985, which they identify as the principal cause of their asset bubble. Puru, would you agree with that? 
Well, I can't really comment about what transpired 30 years ago, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, you're yes, much, it's much younger and much more handsome than that. But, <laughs> I sorry, mean, so it's, it's always easier to point fingers at everybody else and say everyone else is to blame. Uh, the Americans didn't take on the debt. The Japanese inflated the asset market. And when it went down, they are themselves to blame. You can't blame others. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today, Barry. That is Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, joining us from Washington. The time is now 8.19 a.m. and Liberal Party's uh, chairwoman Selena Chow says that the pro-democracy movement has had a big impact on small and medium-sized companies operating in the protest areas. And she says that the civil disobedience campaign is not just hurting actual firms, but sentiment and confidence in doing business in Hong Kong. As far as small SMEs are concerned, immediate, very immediate. If you're talking about the areas where these uh, activities occurred, then you're talking about <laughs> quite tragic figures. I mean, they, they, they are actually not, not opening for business. I mean, you can't. Already, we are uh, getting a sort of average figure of 30 to 40 percent. We are not only getting immediate loss figures, we are also getting figures of anticipated drop in business, such as tourist groups coming to Hong Kong, uh, such as uh, people uh, hesitating to invest, hold it first, see what's going to happen. Uh, that is a more long-term effect. And, you know, it could actually have a spillover effect for months and even in terms of the year. Alex, do you agree with that? Are we actually now seeing a real long-term effect uh, of the Occupy Central protest movement? Oh, yes. I think uh, we probably will see some longer-term impact from this because, um, first of all, uh, people are would, would, would wait and see and before they're putting new investment in Hong Kong. And in, in the longer term, we are people probably would question how the government would function. Uh, if that impasse uh, on the major issues uh, would, would continue. So that, that I think, uh, is the major issue right now. Puru, how long-term do you think long-term is? Well, it really depends on how quickly <clears throat> this situation resolves itself, to be honest, because if this goes on for several more weeks or several more months, I think it's going to start affecting businesses. It already is affecting many businesses, especially the retailers in the, re- in the area where the protests are taking place. But more importantly, as Alex points out, you know, this could have uh, an impact on the image of Hong Kong where a foreign capital may not invest at all or think twice about putting before putting money in because if this kind of political unrest happens in the city and there's no resolution promptly, uh, who wants to put in money in an area like this? Absolutely. Now, Carrie Lam has announced that the talks with the student leaders uh, on political reform will actually take place on Tuesday. Do you think they'll actually happen this time? Well, I'm, I really haven't got a clue, to be honest. <laughs> what do you think, Alex? Oh, I, I think uh, they, they probably would have a very huge gap, and uh, hopefully they would try to narrow this gap at this time, but uh, um, we, we will not have a very quick outcome, I think. Yeah, I think that really is the question. Will we actually have a quick outcome? I mean, even if they do have the conversations, what will they amount to? Um, you know, they've been cancelled so many times. You know, is it just going to be a series of back and forth or do you think there might actually be some sort of solid decision that we can go by? Oh, no, I don't think so. I think uh, uh, 
they probably would try to make some <coughs> points this time and try to renegotiate next time. That, that I think uh, is the best outcome this time. Uh-huh. Now, you know, as companies are releasing earnings uh, this week, uh, will that sort of give us a truer picture rather than this reputation picture that we've been worried about with uh, the occupation, uh, Occupy Central movement? In Hong Kong? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I think uh, because uh, earnings are reflecting historical uh, uh, pictures, not, not, not the current picture. So uh, that is uh, too... too that there will not be any indicative. I think. No, so what I mean is if we have good earnings, uh, do you think that will help sort of raise this image that Puru uh, has mentioned, you know, might be on the decline as a result of the movement? Uh, no, I think uh, uh, the movement actually happened in, in, in late uh, September. So this is still too early to reflect on earnings. So uh, people probably would still uh, uh, take on the latest economic figure from Hong Kong instead of earnings. What do you think, Puru? Well, I agree. I think uh, <clears throat> it's not, this hasn't been going on for too long for an accurate reflection of the numbers to be reported in the company's quarterly earnings. <clears throat> but if this goes on for another three or four months, then, of course, you should all be ready for a, qu- a poor fourth quarter, unfortunately. Okay. So, Puru, what earnings should we be looking out for this week locally? Well, locally, you can look at the big bellwether companies, but we tend to follow more what's happening in the U.S. because that's where our investment exposure is. It has been for the last two or three years. Uh, So, you know, you look at the bellwethers that you alluded to, and I think the earnings season, uh, not only in Hong Kong, but also in the U.S., will give us a much better idea of what is happening in the economy rather than the deflationary scare which seems to have engulfed the stock market at the moment. So we have Apple uh, later today, Coca-Cola tomorrow, Amazon Thursday. Alex, what should we be looking out for earnings-wise here? Oh, I think Amazon probably would be important. Amazon has been a very volatile uh, stocks and, and people actually are, are very optimistic on this one. And it's also reflect the, 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 this retail sentiment, I think. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today. That is Puru Saxena of Puru Saxena Asset Management. A quick look at the numbers right now. Currency levels as we speak. See the euro printing at $1.27. The US yen rate is 107 and uh, the sterling to the Hong Kong dollar is 12 Hong Kong dollars and 47 cents. Brent crude oil is up half a percent at $86.63 and gold is currently at $1,237 per ounce. Well, we'll be back to talk more about shares on the mainland. That's right after this. Every time I ask my elderly friends who have retired if they feel bored, they always say no. That's because they've all joined the Social Welfare Department's Opportunities for the Elderly Project, which allows them to keep learning and to help others through volunteer work by passing on their knowledge and wisdom. The project helps to make life more active, fun, and meaningful. For details, please call 3183-9099. As the Hong Kong-Shanghai Stock Connect is poised to get underway in the coming weeks, fund managers are generally upbeat about the outlook for mainland listed shares. My colleague Chris Oliver has the story. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Renita. Uh, With China poised to open its stock markets to the world in the coming weeks, one idea is to focus on sectors that have traditionally been off-limits to investors in Hong Kong. Uh, That would include medical equipment manufacturers, Uh, That's according to William Ma. He's Deputy Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director of Gotex Fund Management here in Hong Kong. Good morning, William. Morning, Chris. So why do you say we should be looking towards medical suppliers and other uh, health-related companies in China? Yes, actually, um, 
China Asia is getting more and more interesting for the global allocators, in particular in sectors that you mentioned earlier. Um, basically, it's a theme that not only focusing on the uh, rise of middle class in China, basically for the general people as well. And directly, um, some people play with the pharmaceutical and the healthcare reform, but we are um, seeing interesting opportunities from underlying manager. Um, focusing on the medical equipment sectors is not the high end like Philips. It may be normal, uh, middle to low end like X-ray or some other diagnosis equipment that is generally used by a lot of hospitals in China. So these would be firms that manufacture equipment that's distributed in China exactly. primarily. Um, you, you, you name that as one sub-sector to watch. What else would there be that should be on our radar? We've got some uh, local Chinese manager um, getting excited in some of the consumer stocks as well. Again, those are not the big top names, but um, it's like uh, household names by the local people. For example, one company, they are one of the largest uh, maker of uh, cooking wine, and their, uh, uh, their argument is uh, the, the company is uh, getting 20% plus growth. Uh, because um, you know people are cooking more, and um, and the people in the vi- village they are using more and more uh, cooking wine as well as improving uh, their life quality. So, any, any names to mention there in particular? Um, I think it's interesting for the investor to do their own due diligence on the China Asia market. Um, for the Chinese wine company I mentioned earlier is um, is a one billion renminbi market cap company, and the trading volume is huge. So you, you can look it up easily from the internet. Okay, stepping back from China for a moment, you also mentioned that Korea looks good at the moment. Tell, tell me why. Yes, um, as you understand, uh, Japan and China has been the key focus for the global allocators. But um, I think there is uh, some interesting opportunity in Korea. Um, they've got the um, Korean version of uh, Abenomics, which is called Choinomics. And we are seeing interesting opportunity from the property sectors as well as uh, a company uh, restructuring stories. Just a, a final uh, question here, William. Uh, we know that the Hong Kong Shanghai Connect is uh, due to launch this month. At least that's the target. Although there's been no hard target set. Uh, what are you hearing? Will we see it uh, in October? Um, we are seeing. Uh, actually, they need the local brokers need two weeks of ahead of uh, opening account. So as of now, uh, we are not seeing the local brokers telling us that they will be launched in two two weeks. Okay. Thank you very much, William. That's uh, William Ma, Deputy Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director of Gotex Fund Management. And thank you, Chris. So a quick look at the numbers before we uh, close shop today. The Nikkei is open. It is up almost 2% to 14,820. Australia's ASX index is up 1% to 5,309. And Seoul's Kospi is also up 1% to 19, uh, so that's 1,918. This is Money for Nothing, and I am Renita Malhotra-Hura, closing shop for today. A quick look at the weather forecast. Uh, sunny intervals is what we'll have with a maximum temperature of 29 degrees with moderate easterly winds. The temperature right now is 25 degrees Celsius, and the relative humidity is 81%. And now it's time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. The chief executive, C.Y. Leung, says foreign forces are at work in the pro-democracy movement here. It's the first time a senior local official has made such a claim. Janice Wong reports. 
In an interview on ATV, Mr. Leung said forces from other countries were encouraging the mass sit-ins, but he refused to identify them. There is obviously participation by people, uh, organizations from outside of Hong Kong, in politics in Hong Kong, over a long time. And this is not the only time uh, when they do it. And this is not an exception either. This is the first time a local official has made such a claim. He also said the Occupy movement was out of control. It's got out of control even uh, for people who started it, for people who planned it, for people who scripted it. Um, you now see them um, still writing articles about it or appearing in some of these neighbourhoods that are being occupied and they talk to the, uh, the, the people as recent as uh, last night. Uh, but they cannot end the, uh, the movement, which is a major concern. Mainland state media have repeatedly alleged that anti-China forces such as the United States are manipulating the protesters, and Beijing has warned against foreign meddling in what it says is an internal affair. However, protesters and student leaders have denied any outside involvement in the protests. Mongkok is much calmer now this morning than previous days, with a noticeably smaller police presence facing the thousands of protesters on Nathan Road. Labour Party lawmaker Fernando Jones said he hoped it would remain peaceful. We've seen too much violence here in the past uh, couple of nights already. And uh, this is a sensitive time because we have dialogue scheduled on Tuesday. Uh, we don't want any accidents that might jeopardize the uh, dialogue between the government and the 